Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 110. Psalm 110, and this is the word of the Lord. Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of the youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through Hebrews 5.10. Uh, this will be our uh, sermon text, although we will also be uh, considering other verses uh, from uh, the scriptures, but also uh, other verses from Hebrews. But the, the scripture text is Hebrews, or the sermon text is Hebrews 4.14 through 5.10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. As we... Uh, Consider the significance of the birth of Jesus during this Advent season. Uh, We're focusing on uh, how Jesus, as our Savior, and also uh, as the incarnate uh, Son of God, how he fulfilled uh, the offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king. Uh, Just by way of review, um, the three offices, or the three leadership roles in Old Testament Israel— Uh, were those of the prophet, the priest, and the king. And those who served in those offices, they were anointed with oil, and in that way they were ordained or appointed 
uh, to serve in one of those three offices. And every prophet, every priest, every king uh, that we read about in the scriptures in the Old Testament, uh, they all were pointing towards, they were pointing uh, at uh, the great prophet, priest, and king who had come one day, uh, the one whom God promised that he would raise up uh, to save his people Israel and to rule over them forever. And, of course, uh, that one is Jesus. Uh, he is the Christ. Uh, the Christ means literally uh, the anointed one. Uh, he was not anointed with oil, as were the, the old covenant prophet, prophets, priests, and kings, but he was anointed uh, with the Holy Spirit, and he was the one who fulfilled all three of those offices. They, they uh, were shadows or types of, of the Christ, who was the ultimate, the true, the great prophet, priest, and king. And so last week we looked at what the scriptures say regarding Christ as our prophet. And today we'll hear what the Bible teaches about Christ as our priest. And as we did uh, last week, uh, we'll proceed uh, by asking a series of questions and then answering those questions. And so uh, we'll ask, what is a priest? Uh, secondly, why do we need a priest? And thirdly, uh, how is Jesus our priest? So first of all, what is a priest? In our passage in Hebrews in chapter 4 and 5, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 5, uh, we read this. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So if the basic uh, role or function of a prophet uh, was to serve as the representative or the spokesman of God uh, to the people of Israel, uh, then the basic function of a priest is the opposite. Uh, it was to serve as a representative of the people of Israel uh, before God. And as, uh, as the representative of God's people to God, uh, the most essential duty, the most important thing that the priest did was, as we read in verse 1, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. When God gave to Israel a priesthood, he commanded the priests to offer all kinds of various uh, gifts and sacrifices. But the primary significance of those sacrifices, especially those sacrifices that involved the slaughter of animals, the primary meaning of those sacrifices was this. The blood of those animals, the death of those sacrifices were to make atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. Uh, the blood of the sacrificial animals that was spilt uh, at the altar of God. Uh, this was accepted by God as a substitute for the death uh, of his people that they deserved because of their sin. And so these sacrifices atoned for the sins of the people. Uh, of course, uh, as Hebrews will go on to say, and as we'll consider, uh, the blood of bulls and goats, the, the, the blood of all these animals couldn't actually take away sins. Only the blood of Jesus can really and truly take away our sins. Nevertheless, under the priesthood of the Old Testament, God was pleased to use the blood of bulls and goats and other animals to be the means uh, of covering the sins of the people of Israel so that they could approach God, so that they could worship him, be in his presence without uh, being condemned. And so in the Old Testament, a priest was a man of God or was a man chosen by God to act on behalf of the people of God as their representative. 
uh, primarily in offering up to the Lord those sacrifices which the Lord was pleased to use at that time as the means by which their sins uh, were covered. So that brings us to the second question. Why do we need a priest? Well, we've already really answered that question in answering the first question, what is a priest? We've already already answered uh, the question that we're considering now, why do we need a priest? Uh, The reason why we need a priest to represent us before God is because of our sin, our sin. But to understand this better, let's let's dig a little deeper. Uh, What is sin? What is sin? Uh, The Bible describes uh, sin in various ways. There's different angles that we can take to consider uh, what is sin and all of its its awfulness and and, uh, evil. Uh, But sin is essentially this. It is thinking or speaking or acting in a way that is contrary uh, to the righteousness, to the holiness of God that he has revealed in his law. In other words, sin is breaking the law of God. First uh, John 3, 4 says, Everyone who, pra- who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Uh, the King James Version says, Sin is the transgression of the law. And so sin is breaking God's law. The, the shorter catechism says, A sin is any want, that is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Now, For that reason, because sin is breaking God's law and because God is a just and a holy God who, in order to uphold his own righteous character, to be true to himself, to to, to have integrity as a holy God, God must punish the one who sins against him. And for that reason, then, our sin makes communion and fellowship with God impossible. By nature, we cannot enjoy the communion with God for which we were created because of our sin. It stands as a barrier between us and God. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Uh, an infinitely righteous God, which is who God is, the God who's revealed to us in the scripture, a God who is holy, a God who is righteous, with no shadow whatsoever of sin or unrighteousness. He cannot have in his presence a sinner. And that is what we are. This is why Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden after their sin. The garden was that, that place of perfect and undisturbed fellowship and communion with God, the creator, a place of, of bliss and life and joy. Because they had that, um, that closeness, that intimacy with the Lord. But because Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they sinned. They broke his commandment. For that reason, God banished them from the garden. They could not be in his presence anymore. And because you and I share in that sin and rebellion of Adam, uh, we too, because of our unrighteousness and sin, we cannot come into the presence of God. In other words, our sin is the root cause of our separation from God. The prophet Isaiah says this, Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And because God is the one who is the only, the true, the inexhaustible source of life and joy and peace, 
Because we cannot be in his presence, because we are alienated from him because of our sin, because we are cut off from him. Therefore, in our sin, we are spiritually dead. To to not be in the presence of the life-giving God is spiritual death. And the Bible describes the, the ultimate destruction, the judgment of the unbeliever in these terms, that they will be forever separated from the life-giving, the gracious presence of God. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And it's for this reason when, when God, in his mercy and his grace, when he took to himself a people, when he chose the people of Israel to be his people, and he was their God, He instituted among them a priesthood. It was necessary that they should have priests because it was God's will that his people would come into his presence to worship him. It was the will of God that that he would dwell among his people. He dwelt among them in the tabernacle and later in the temple. It was the will of God that his people might enjoy coming into his presence and experiencing in the presence of their God that eternal life and and blessedness and joy that is only found in the presence of God. As David puts it in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, forevermore. It was the will of God that his people should know this blessedness, the, the eternal joy being in his presence. But in order for them to experience that life and joy of knowing God, of being with God, sin had to be dealt with. There had to be a sacrifice for sin. And so there had to be a priesthood to offer these sacrifices on behalf of the people. And this is the same reason why you and I and every single person in the world desperately need a priest. We need a priest. When I was a student in seminary and I would tell people that I was uh, attending classes or I was a seminary student, uh, sometimes they would say, oh, so you're going to be a priest. And then I would explain to them, no, uh, I'm not Catholic. I'm Protestant. Um, We don't we don't have priests. Uh, We have pastors. And then I would explain to them uh, if if I was able the the reason for that. And so as Protestants, we're very aware of the fact that we don't have priests. But nevertheless, as even Protestants, we need a priest. We need a priest. If we are to have God as our father, if we, have, if we are to, to, to come into the presence of God, if we are to enjoy the fullness of that blessedness and joy that is only found uh, with God, If God is to dwell in our midst, then it is necessary that we have a priest. We need someone who can offer to God a sacrifice to take away our sin. And of course, that is exactly what Jesus was born to be. He was born to be our priest, to deal with our sin. As I'm sure you are well aware, of course, you're well aware of it. Christmas is right around the corner. And as you know, uh, in our culture, as a people, as a society, we have largely forgotten the, the traditional historic meaning of Christmas, that is a celebration of the birth of Christ. 
but I believe the reason why we've lost an appreciation for or an understanding of or a sense of rejoicing in the birth of Christ is because we have first previously we lost a sense of sin. We have forgotten that we are sinners. At some point, we came not to see ourselves as sinners in need of forgiveness. And so we don't see our need for Jesus to be our priest. And for that reason, then, what need do we have to celebrate the birth of Jesus who came to deliver us from our sins? And so we've taken Jesus out of Christmas because we deny that we have a problem with sin. And this is so characteristic of we who live in our modern age. We fail to see the need for a priest because we fail to see the problem, the presence of our sin. In our modern secular thought, we acknowledge all kinds of needs that we have, but not the need of a priest to represent us before God. I remember a few years ago, I saw a presentation uh, given by a, a graduate student and in this presentation, presentation, she included uh, what is known as Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You may be familiar with this. Uh, Abraham Maslow was a psychologist, I think, working in the, in the 1940s. And he uh, proposed a hierarchy or an order of all the things that we need as human beings. And at the most basic uh, level of those needs, uh, the most uh, fundamental needs are those needs that we have in order to remain uh, alive, to physically survive in this world. Uh, so we need water, shelter, clothing, sleep. I think if Maslow was writing uh, in, our, in our age, he would probably say we need, we need high-speed internet. That's one of the basic uh, necessities of life. But then uh, above that uh, are more uh, different kinds of needs. We need uh, safety, security, uh, health, employment, property, and so on. And then above that are other needs. Uh, we need to be loved, to be belong, uh, to feel like we belong. And so we need family and friendship and so on. And then the hierarchy goes up from there and there are more psychological needs. Now, most of these needs that Maslow identifies in his hierarchy are genuine human needs. Uh, but this, this is uh, so... Uh, Typical of our uh, secular, our un unbelieving understanding of what we need in order to be happy and complete and whole human beings. Uh, this hierarchy of needs leads everything out. It includes everything that we can think of that we might need for life in this world to be fulfilled, to be content and all of that, except for the one thing that we desperately need most of all, and that is we need to be made right with our Creator. That is our greatest need. That is our most fundamental problem. That is the thing that we need above all else and before all else. We need to be made right with the God who created us. No matter how well provided for you are in this life, no matter how much you may feel that all of your needs have been met, unless you are right with God, Unless your sins are forgiven, unless your guilt has been atoned for, spiritually you are dead and you are lost in your sins. And apart from the grace of God, you will be cut off from the life-giving, gracious presence of God forever and ever. 
And this is why you and I need a priest. This is why we need a priest. And praise the Lord that God has provided for us such a priest in Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the third question. How is Jesus our priest? Uh, We're in Hebrews, but if you look at uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, uh, the author there explains how the animal sacrifices of the old covenant could not atone for our sin. He says in verses 3 and 4, this is chapter 10 of Hebrews. He says, But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Think about it. Year after year after year, week after week, day after day, these sacrificial animals were brought to the temple of God in Jerusalem. They were slaughtered at the altar. And so year after year, century after century, after rivers of blood flowed from the altar, all of that blood, all of those sacrifices that were slaughtered, all of them together did not cover or atone for one sin of the people of Israel. In fact, they only reminded the Israelites because they were continually offered year after year, over and over. They only reminded the the Israelites of the fact that their sin remained with them, that there was this ongoing presence of sin with them. And this was the problem with the priesthood in the Old Covenant. Uh, The priests could not offer sacrifices. They could not offer a sufficient sacrifice to truly deal with the sins of the people. But then in chapter 10, after hearing of the inadequacy, the powerlessness of human or of animal sacrifices to take away the sins of God's people, we hear the voice of Jesus. And he says in verses five through seven, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And so Jesus declares that he is the answer. He is the solution to this problem. The problem that all the animal sacrifices, all the blood shed at the altar could not take away a single sin of the people of Israel. Jesus says, I am the answer. Behold, I, I have come to do your will. And notice that he says, a body you have prepared for me. A body you have prepared for me. This helps us to see the the incarnation uh, in in a greater light. Um, You know, the wonder of the incarnation. uh, Really, the incarnation is uh, the miracle of miracles. That that almighty God, the creator, who is absolutely separate and distinct from all that he has made, that he should enter into his creation, that he should unite himself with his creatures by becoming man, by taking on human flesh. But the glory of the incarnation is not just that God became man, but he became man specifically in order to be a sacrifice, in order to be a true sacrifice that could take away our sin. A body you have prepared for me. And so Christ is our true priest. He is our great high priest because the sacrifice he brought to God on behalf of men was not the blood of bulls and goats, but he brought the only sacrifice that can truly atone for our sin, and that is the sacrifice of his own body 
the body of the incarnate, the holy, the sinless Son of God, the body that was broken on the cross, the blood that was shed upon the cross, this truly is a sacrifice that can cover our sins, that can remove the guilt of our sins. And so the incarnation of the Son of God made Jesus a perfect sacrifice. And because of his incarnation, Jesus is also a perfect priest. Uh, Going back to our passage, uh, back to Hebrews chapter 5, in a couple of different ways, uh, the author of Hebrews there, uh, he shows just how extraordinary uh, the priesthood of Jesus was in comparison to the old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. First of all, he says, unlike any other priest, God appointed, or when God appointed Jesus to be the high priest, he did so with these words. He said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. To no other priest would Jesus, or did the Lord say, you are my son. I have begotten you. And so Jesus is extraordinary. He is unique. He is the son of God. And secondly, unlike all the priests in the days of Israel, Jesus was not descended from Aaron. His priesthood was of an entirely different order. Uh, Verse 6, chapter 5. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Later in chapter 7, the author of Hebrews explains uh, the significance of that, that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek, he is uh, presented to us in the scriptures as though he were an eternal person. He has neither beginning of days, nor end of life, nor nor genealogy, nor mother or father. He appears in the scriptures uh, kind of out of eternity. And uh, he he lives forever, uh, you know, as he comes to us in the word of God. But he is a type of Christ. Jesus is the eternally existing son of God. And so he has a priesthood, unlike the Levitical priest, he has a priesthood that lasts forever. It is permanent And therefore, because Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, because he is divine, not only is a sacrifice a sacrifice that truly takes away our sin forever, but he has a priesthood by which he intercedes for us before God, before the Father, forever and ever, and will continue to do so. And therefore, in Hebrews 7.25, we read, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. And so because of the incarnation, because Jesus is the son of God who became man, because he is truly divine, therefore he is a true priest. But at the same time, because Jesus is man, because he is God incarnate, because he took on human flesh, he can also serve as a perfect priest for us because he is human. He can sympathize with us in all of our weaknesses and temptations in chapter 15 or uh, chapter 5 and verse 15 uh, we read this uh, for we I'm sorry that's the wrong um, uh, chapter 4 verse 15 we read this for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin So Jesus never actually sinned. Jesus was sinless, and yet he was tempted. He was tested in a way that made him able to sympathize with us when we are tempted. He can sympathize with us in our weakness. And so he is a priest whom you can approach without fear. 
If you come to Jesus with a humble heart, with a repentant heart, uh, there is no sin that he will not forgive. Uh, Jesus is ready to help you when you come to him in humility, seeking his grace. He is ready to help you in your weakness and need. As the author says, you will receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And why is that? Because he is not only true God, but he is true man. So he can sympathize and have compassion on us in our weakness. You need a priest, and Jesus is the priest that you need. Again, because he is true God, his sacrifice takes away your sin and guilt forever. Because he is true man, he comes alongside of you in your struggles and your weakness. And with compassion, he is there. He knows what it is like to suffer, to be tempted. And it's because of this reason, then, because he is the true mediator between us and God, because he is the great high priest that we need. It's for this reason that the angel could tell Joseph uh, when Jesus was soon to be born, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this is the gospel message of Christmas. Uh, We don't uh, only rejoice in the birth of Jesus because he is God who came um, as man into our world. That is a cause for rejoicing that God came down to us. But even more, we rejoice because he came to us to save us. Jesus was born to take away our sin. And as long as we keep in mind the priesthood of Christ, we will have the ability to discern this true gospel message from the very many false gospels in the world. There are many false gospels, and they, all, they are, are all different from one another, but what they all have in common is this. At some point, they deny the priesthood of Jesus. One such, fa- one such false gospel is the social gospel. Uh, this gospel says uh, that Jesus was born to uh, bring equity, to bring fairness into the world. Uh, Jesus was born to make right all the social evils and wrongs in the world that bring misery and oppression to people. Now, of course, um, it is true that God is perfectly just. God hates uh, injustice. God hates oppression. God is concerned for the poor and oppressed of the world. And it is true that one day Jesus will establish a perfect righteousness among Uh, His redeemed people. There will be no more injustice, no more oppression. But this is not the true gospel. In this gospel, the the cross of Jesus fades into the background. It fades away from view. According to this gospel, Jesus is not a priest to make us right with God, but he is a teacher to show us the way to make the world a better place. Another false gospel is the prosperity gospel. According to this gospel, what Jesus does for you is make it possible for you to enjoy health and wealth in this life. But again, what that denies is our greatest need. Our greatest need is not to enjoy good health, although that is a blessing. We pray for that. Our greatest need is not to have uh, an abundance of all the things that our hearts desire in this world. In fact, that's not even a need at all. But this prosperity gospel assumes that our greatest need is to obtain these things that we desire in this life. And in so doing, it denies the priesthood of Jesus. It denies that Jesus came into the world in order to deal with our sin, to make us right with God. 
There's another false gospel that is perhaps the most dangerous because it can sound very much like the true gospel. And that is the therapeutic gospel that Jesus came came into the world in order to make you feel good about yourself, to bring you into a healthy and positive state of mind. And again, because it assumes that our greatest need is something other than the sin that separates us from God, there is a denial here of the priesthood of Christ. But the true gospel is the good news that Jesus came to save us from our sin. And he did so as a priest by offering himself as a sacrifice on the cross that we might be brought near to God. This is what Christ has done for us. And if you have faith and hope in the Lord Jesus, if you have come to Jesus for who he is as the one who makes you right with God, the one who deals with your sin, if you have come to him as your savior, from sin and guilt, then the birth of Christ is a reason to rejoice. It is a cause of celebration. And you can rejoice not only because he takes away your sin, but along with that, Jesus was born to give you his life, to give you joy, to give you peace in this life, but also to give you all those things in perfection in the life to come. Let's pray.